All right, good morning, everyone. We're going to start things off this morning with this question. What does it truly mean to love someone? What does it truly mean to love someone? My name is Pastor Milo, and this is one of the questions that we tend to ask when we begin marriage counseling. I say we because my wife and I always do pre-marriage counseling together. We have a different perspective on life. We have a different way of looking at things, different lens of looking at the world, and it's most helpful to a couple who's coming to meet with us for us both to have a conversation uh, with them. If you ever do premarriage counseling with us, my wife also has a rule that if we meet, sometimes we meet after the kids go to bed, once 10 o'clock strikes, my instruction at that point is of no use to anyone. I'm too tired to be of any use. And she constantly spends the time saying, yeah, that's not how this works. What does it mean to truly love someone? So we ask them that question, and then we also would ask questions of, why do you want to get married? Because in this culture, in this day and age, people tend to not get married. They have no real push that forces them to do so. Why would you seek to be married by a Christian pastor? Why do you want to get married in a Christian church? What is it that you want when you say that you want a Christian wedding? These questions, they're essential. It's because it helps us to understand. It helps us to uh, learn a lot about each other when it comes to uh, motives in scheduling a wedding date. Another thing we like to tell people is that this is pre-marriage counseling, not pre-ceremony counseling. Meaning that we're not going to put all of our time and effort into the ceremony. The ceremony is important, yes. We know that it's important to the bride in particular. However, there's a lot more that we need to discuss that's beyond the big day. All of the days that come after that day. What does it truly mean to love someone? Now, there are people in this very room this morning who may have been heard or may have not been heard saying within the last seven days, I love Josh Allen. For those of you who didn't hear me because I was at a really high register, I said, I love Josh Allen. I love the Buffalo Bills. What on earth does that mean? What does it mean to truly love someone? Because if you ask the world that definition, what you're going to get is the definition of love someone is that you accept that person as he is or she is without trying to change that person. Do you love Josh Allen? The world will also say that love is this marvelous experience, this powerful feeling of euphoria that will always be present if two people love one another. And this is where those of you who have been married for a while say, yeah, right. I beg to differ. That's not love. See, reality sets in. And we hear people say, and perhaps you have said this before, we just don't have anything in common with one another anymore. They just don't make me happy anymore. We just don't get along anymore. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been there in the last 10 years. Maybe you've been there in the last 10 weeks. Maybe you've been there this week. What does it mean to truly love someone? You see, the Bible's definition of love is different than the definition that the world gives us. They are very different. In the Bible's definition of love, love is not a feeling. Love is a 
choice. It is not an emotion. In 1 Corinthians 13, you can turn there briefly or we're going to put it on the screen for you here. We get the, the most famous passage on love. That love is a choice. A choice to be patient. A choice to be kind. A choice to be filled with humility. A choice to make sacrifices for one another. A choice to surrender to one's will. Let's look at verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. What does it mean to truly love someone until death do us part? Show of hands, how many of you have read this passage at a wedding? You were asked to come in, and you were asked to read this passage at a wedding. Go ahead, raise your hands right now. All right. So keep your hands raised because we need you. These are our resident scholars on this passage, okay? So what? keep your hands up. I see you putting them down. Keep your hands up. I want you to look at them. You're going to repeat after me. You're going to look over them. You see them. They've got their hands raised. And you're going to ask them this. I heard that you read this passage aloud at a wedding. Whose wedding in the Bible did the Apostle Paul read this at? Paul didn't read this at a wedding. So correct that person who had their hand raised because they were wrong. Apostle Paul did not read this at a wedding. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 was not meant to be read aloud at a wedding. It was meant to be read aloud at a church service, at a worship gathering. It's not a wedding passage at all. So how can we talk about love? How can we properly talk about love? How do you rightly love with true love for another person? Not just in the context of marriage, but in the context of family or in the context of community, in the context of life. How is it that you are to truly love your neighbor? How are you to love that stranger and those who are different from you, far different from you in terms of race or of status or of age? Well, Paul summarizes it this way, the same passage, verse 7. Love bears all things. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. True love does it all, friends. It does all of those things. True love bears all things. Very quickly, what does that mean? Well, love is patient. Love is persistent. It's willing to bear the burdens, the flaws, the shortcomings of others without becoming easily frustrated or giving up on them. True love demonstrates resilience in the face of challenges and difficulties. True love bears all things. True love believes all things. Love that trusts, has faith, remains hopeful in the face of adversity, believing the best in that other person. True love hopes in all things. Love is optimistic. Love is forward-looking. It maintains hope for the future and believes in the possibility of positive change and growth. That is true love. It doesn't give up. True love endures all things. It has the strength to endure hardships and disappointments and obstacles. It's not easily discouraged or deterred by difficulties. It perseveres through challenging times, demonstrating resilience and determination. And true love never ends. God's love is eternal and unchanging. It's not bound by time or circumstances or the passage of years. Our love for one another when it's founded in Christ and his love for all in its purest form, 
form endures forever and ever. True love does it all. If you're wondering, that's a copy and paste from my wedding sermon notes. But it was never meant to be about a wedding. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. What does it truly mean to love someone? This is it. This is what it means to love someone. To seek good in the person that we love, which means that we're going to seek to change the person that we love. To actually love them enough and to to share things with them. Because in the context that now we're going to get to in Galatians chapter 4, Paul is asking the people there in Galatia to seek to change. In our world, this is offensive. This is offensive to ask that. When people are asked to change and told that they're doing something in a way that is wrong, the response is, how dare you? How dare you tell me to change? On your morality, you're going to tell me the way that I have to live my life? If you love me, then you will accept me for who I am. You will not make me change. In our culture, we're called words like haters for doing that type of thing. But the reality is, is loving someone and accepting them as they are without asking them to change isn't very loving at all. To stand by and watch people do harm to themselves We're told that we're supposed to mind our own business. Let them do whatever they want. But the great deceiver is the one who is telling us that. Presuming that Christians would be hateful if they actually love someone enough to tell them that they need to change. To accept their sinful behavior and and accept the harmful consequences of that behavior, that's actually not loving at all. Because true love, when you look at Scripture, and we're going to see it here in Galatians chapter 4, is always seeking something more for the person that they love. And seeking something more means seeking that they would change. So love is asking for them to change. If there's something wrong in their life, then the loving thing to do is to ask them, to, to push them, to have a desire for them to change. Something must move in their life for them to live the way that God intended for them to live. To live in a way that they would have the freedom, the abundance of life that comes from making the adjustments that God has asked for. So the culmination of today's message, we'll get there in just a moment, will not be on the phrase, until death do us part, because that's not what any of this is about. It will be on the phrase that Paul will give us at the end, until Christ is formed in you. Until Christ is formed in you. This is the phrase that defines what it really means when love truly does it all, when it comes to loving someone else, to love them the way that God loves them, to love your neighbor as yourself. So now we're in Galatians chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. What does it mean to truly love? This is what it means. True love doesn't turn back. True love doesn't turn back. Look at verse 8. Formerly... When you did not know God, you were enslaved by those that by nature are not gods. But now you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You're observing days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid that I have labored over you in vain. Until Christ is formed in you, Paul says, 
you need to know that true love doesn't turn back. Paul makes these comparisons here to the laws, uh, the, the religious beliefs that the Greek Christians were dealing with before they met Jesus. So before they met Jesus, they were slaves to false gods, false gods like Zeus and Hermes. These were not even real be- beings. You, you remember studying your Greek mythology, but this is what they had to deal with. The Greeks worshipped these gods in hopes that they could be favored, that they could actually uh, succeed in becoming slaves of these imaginary masters. That's what they would hope for, that they could become a slave. And last week we saw the analogy as as Pastor Brian talked and as James and Bethany Ringer, they talked about adoption. You don't have to be slaves anymore, no longer slaves. We come to faith in Christ, we are adopted into the family of God. We are heirs to the throne. So Paul is encouraging his listeners to reflect on their own lives, to think back, to consider the ways that they are dwelling on past mistakes, regrets, sins, the way that they are falling back into the behaviors that had them enslaved before they met Christ. They're turning to religion itself, these practices, and each of these things that become a form of idol worship. He tells them, you observe the days, you observe the months, you you observe the seasons, all these different times of year and the the times when all of the Zeus, uh, the way that the, the Greek mythology would work and how they have to live their lives according to that. He says, you're getting sucked back into it again. Are you looking back? Paul is saying the same thing to us, saying the same thing to you. Are you looking back? Because true love doesn't look back to the old relationships that existed. True love doesn't look back to or look at other idols, no. Are you stumbling back into the places and the relationships that used to trip you up? Paul calls them the weak and the elementary principles of this world. Are you getting sucked back into those things. People in relationships that offer you more control, more power, more authority, more influence. These were the things that the Greek gods were potentially offering those who who would come and worship them. That was the whole mythology that went behind it. And isn't that true? If it was true of the first century Christians dealing that then, those are the idols of the 21st century as well. More power, more authority, more influence. Do you truly love Jesus Christ? One of the songs that we sing, above all else, I adore your name. Until Christ is formed in you. That's what true love looks like. True love doesn't turn back. What does it mean to truly love? Secondly, true love endures some pain. Check this out, verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong, and you know it's because of a body ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testified to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Well, that's a word picture for you. Until Christ is formed in you, true love endures pain. Paul changed his tone to get the Gentiles' attention. 
There's, there's, there's definitely a distinct change here in this passage. He's been chastising the Galatians. He's been going after them. He's been pleading with them. He is recalling the love for them that they have shown for him in the past. He doesn't just want their attention. He wants their hearts. That's why his tone changes. Earlier in Galatians, Paul has called these listeners, these readers, he has called them fools. Here, he changes his tone and he calls them brothers. And by the end of our passage where we're reading today, in a few verses, Paul will call them children. Paul loves them like his own children. And because he loves them like his own children, he would do anything for them. He would sacrifice himself for them. You see, true love, biblical love, is sacrificial. True biblical love often requires the ability to endure pain, to endure discomfort. Let me explain. So parents on the sidelines of of sports, all sports, the ones that I'm familiar with are soccer and a little bit of basketball and a little bit of baseball, parents are the worst part of sports when it comes to our kids playing these things. Uh, The YMCA next door, uh, we go there, our kids participate in some of the things there. Uh, If you have a child in one of the leagues, you know that now in the orientation phase of bringing your kid into one of these leagues, the parents are now getting read the riot act when it comes to what they will allow allow there at the YMCA when it comes to the parents. I, I dropped my daughter off. She was going to a swim lesson. I came, I dropped her off. I went into the locker room. I came out. I had changed. I had fully changed. Now I was going to go upstairs to work. They were still reading the rules to the parents to remind them that if they got out of hand, not only would now the team have to give up extra points in the game that was happening in front of them, but then they would be asked to be removed from the facility. And if they were ever asked to be removed from the facility, then they would never be able to come back into the YMCA ever again. Parents. And their kids just want to play basketball. Parents are the worst. When we got involved in our first church, uh, we were a new couple, newly married couple, didn't have any kids yet. I saw a parent who was instructing his child in a way I had never experienced before, modeled it in a way I'd never experienced before. It was, it was a very positive thing. I want to clarify that. He was one of the parents in the church. He had a particularly rambunctious child on his hand, one of those boys who's always getting into everything, climbing on everything, pulling everything down, getting, poking, twisting, turning, all of that. This was this boy. He was into everything. And over and over and over again, as we got to know this family, I watched this father who would be talking to a group of adults. He'd excuse himself and he'd move over and he'd talk to his son. He'd get down on one knee, he'd pull him close and he'd say something, look him in the eye and then he'd come back and rejoin us in the conversation. And I had never seen a parent do that before. He was an example of great patience as a parent. Some of you in this room have had to demonstrate a great deal of great patience for your children. Some of you are just getting started, so good luck with that. Some have had to endure a great amount of pain on the behalf of a prodigal child who's been on the run for many, many years, and we're praying with you that they will return. But for the benefit of others, 
Sacrificial love always requires this ability to endure pain, to endure suffering because you love that person. And so interestingly, what happens here is that Paul actually uses his own story, his own discomfort that he caused the Galatian church when he first met them. He uses that as his example. There are some people, if you've read this passage before, studied this passage before, that some will take uh, the the things that he's talking about here to say that Paul had some type of eye disease uh, or some other sickness that God would not heal him of, the thorn in the side, that this is uh, where part of that is coming to fruition. I disagree. I've done some study this week. There's different commentaries that talk through it. I don't think that he had a specific eye disease that that he was like wiping claws and, and handing it. There's some really odd things out there about this. I think that you're going too far with that. I think as, as you study this and as you look at this, as, as far as I've been able to figure out with the timeline of what's going on, it looks as if the Acts account, the Apostle Paul being stoned in the city of Lystra, was just before he went to the other churches there in Galatia. So Paul, if you remember the past, he'd been preaching the gospel and he was taken outside of the, of the city and he was stoned to death, they thought. They thought that he was dead. Crowds of people had thrown rocks at his head because they did not like what he was saying. They stoned him. They, they brutalized him. His body looked like it was dead. And he looked pretty beat up. And he got up and he went back to preaching. But I believe it's in that context that he comes to Derby as he comes to the people there in Galatia. And he says there, I believe, as it connects, that the people showed him love when he was in this disfigured state. And he says, remember that day? Remember that day that I came to you and I was all beaten up, I was all bloodied, I was really hard to look at? He says, as bad as I looked, as hard as it was for you to help me physically, and you know how bad it was. He says, this is what you are going to have to endure spiritually and emotionally if you are going to truly love your Christian brothers and your Christian sisters. This is what you've got in front of you. And I believe the Galatians knew exactly what he was talking about. And with great clarity what that would mean that they would have to endure for the sake of their brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, what does that mean for us? Is there a brother or sister here in the church, a fellow believer in Christ, that you need to be willing to lovingly confront? Not to be a parent on the sidelines who's about to get ejected from the game because they're yelling at their own kid. No, to lovingly confront, to get down on the knee and to look someone in the eye, to tell them lovingly correct, and to encourage them into what it means to be a follower of Christ. Paul encourages the Galatians by recalling. He he says, look back. Look at this moment that we shared. When I was unlovable and you loved me anyway. He wants to encourage them through that light. And then he is going to push them through and say, you've got some work to do. On the flip side, when someone has tried to correct you, how do you receive that correction? Are you willing to hear people out when they challenge you? Are you able to consider it as an opportunity to grow? Are you good at that? I'm not very good at that. Do you like it when someone tells you that there's some issues that you need to work on? 
We believe this to be true in Scripture, as iron sharpens iron. We are faithful if we are wounding a friend. Faithful are those wounds, is what Proverbs tell us. Now, it doesn't always work out well. The Galatians here, we see that they did not respond well. We'll read in just a moment. They say, have I become, Paul says, have I become your enemy because I shared the truth with you? But look at what Paul has done here. He's changed his approach. He's changed his tactic. He's changed his posture to get down and look them in the eye. Before we move on, I just want to ask you that question again. Is there someone in your life that you need to lovingly approach about something? You see, that's the way that we want to be cared for. We want to be loved. That's what it looks like when Christ cares for and loves us. Do you care enough about them for the ultimate goal of Christ being formed in them? You see, when there's issues, when there's sin, when there's, when there's problems to be dealt with, it should not be brushed under the rug. It, it should be dealt with in love. What does it mean to truly love? As we've seen here, true love will endure pain. What does it mean to truly love? True love tells the truth. True love tells the truth. Here it is, verse 16, as I just alluded to. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They've made much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. He's heading this way. He says, until Christ is formed in you, true love will tell you the truth. The Apostle Paul is expressing his concern. He's expressing his disappointment with the Galatians and their actions and, their, and the ways that they've made themselves vulnerable to false teaching. True love sometimes requires that we must tell the truth, even when it's uncomfortable. It's about caring for someone's well-being enough to address their misconceptions, address their errors. Specifically, the truth that Paul is using here as he's been making his argument through these chapters in Galatians, he's speaking them the truth of the gospel. Christ is the only way. The Judaizers are going to add all types of things here, but he says Christ is all that you need. That's the gospel. And Paul knows that it's going to be difficult for them to swallow. He gets down on one knee and he looks them in the eye, and he tells them the truth. He tells them the truth, that the Judaizers, they are, they are gathering them together, they are drawing them in, and, and they are fleecing these new Christians. Meaning, he knows and he tells them, as he looks them in the eye, he says, they are trying to make you feel good. They are buttering you up. <coughs> They're making a big deal about you, and that feels good. But he says it's of no good purpose. The end game does not benefit you. It benefits them. They will shut you out, he tells them. They will leave you out in the cold. Is there a time where you've needed to tell the truth out of love, even when it was difficult? Just recently, there was a situation here in the church where I sent out an email. I clicked send and immediately regretted that. You've been in that situation before? There was a loving person in this congregation, a leader in the church that came to me and they talked to me and they said, I received your email. I don't know if you should have sent that email in that way at that time. This person spoke truth to me in a loving way, looking me in the, they were not yelling at me from the sidelines, they were talking to me about that. 
They were honest. They were transparent. They were meaningful in how they approached it. See, true love tells the truth. A person told me that because they cared for my well-being. They cared for me as a leader and as your pastor. They showed commitment to me and in turn showed commitment to Christ. That Christ would demonstrate his fullness in me. That was the desire of this person's interaction with me. That's true love, friends. What does it mean to truly love? True love will always tell the truth. So here it is. Here's the culmination of the passage. The last point. What does it mean to truly love? It's to truly love until Christ is formed in you. This is where the passage has been going. It is always good to be made much for good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed with you. If we think through the lens of 1 Corinthians 13, what true love looks like, true love does it all until Christ is formed in you. All the things. True love does all the things until Christ is formed in you. The Apostle Paul puts it there on the line and says, I'm perplexed by you. You crazy kids are wearing me out. But I love you. He expresses his longing and he expresses his desire to see the Galatians come to a deeper knowledge in Christ. He knows that they have been made for a specific purpose and they're getting drawn away from that. And he knows that even though he can't be with them in these moments, that is going to be the love of Christ. That's what he desires for them because the love of Christ is what's going to sustain them in the long run, not his own visit. It's good, isn't it? Do you know that it's the love of Christ that's going to sustain that person who's sitting next to you, that person who's sitting across from you for all the people in this room and all the people you care about? It is the love of Christ that is going to sustain them because you will let them down. And I will let you down. But it is Christ's fullness in you that will sustain you. True love is willing to go the distance. It's willing to invest time and effort and patience along the journey of faith. It doesn't fade with the obstacles or delays. It's like a mother who's carrying a child, which I know nothing about. Though my wife has carried five, and I've watched her labor, some labors were longer than others, some were more difficult than others. We've had a number of babies born here in the last few weeks. There's going to be six, I think, born over six months this year. It's exciting. Ask that mother how exciting it is a few days before the baby's born. Or a few hours or a few minutes before the baby is born. Paul says, I'm enduring labor. The aches and pains of the coming child are difficult, except that I know that Christ is being formed in you. He says, I'm not going to quit on you, Galatians. I love you love you too much to quit on you. I've spent a fair amount of time over the years working in recovery ministry, if you know what that is. The Christian version of Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. 
And I've seen many people come alongside of a Christian brother and a Christian sister working through these various forms of hurts, habits, and hang-ups, or the way that they like to alliterate that. It is a difficult journey. Breaking free from addiction is something that you're going to need critical help, critical support behind. And you're going to be desperately in need of God's love as you are working your way through that. And I'm always amazed of what it really takes when someone says, I'm going to commit to be your sponsor in a Christ-like manner. I'm going to commit to be your sponsor, to, to show you what love really looks like. I'm telling you, it is not for the faint of heart. That phone is going to ring at the oddest, weirdest times of night. The situation will be more complicated than you could ever imagine. You ever roll up a garden hose and you cannot figure out how on earth this garden hose that I just pulled out has all these knots and all these tangles. It only took one minute and it just... That's what lives are like a lot of times when you're going through something like an addiction. The journey is long, the disappointments, they are many. But there's no better representation of the enduring love of Jesus Christ than going the distance with someone so that you may see the fullness of Christ in them. True love goes the distance. True love does it all, all the things, until Christ is formed in you. As the band makes their way back to the front, I'm going to lead this to the last question this morning. Do you truly love someone? Because if you really love someone, if you are a Christ follower and you really and truly love them with your whole heart, then beyond anything you can muster, you must desire what Paul is desiring here for the Galatians and the Galatian church, to see Christ formed in them. That's it. That's the main goal. There's a lot of other objectives that you might have for your kids that you want them to, to be raised according to a certain uh, way of life. But you need to, above all else, to see Christ formed in them. You desire above all else for the people in this room to be praying for you, that Christ would be formed in you. That's what we need more than anything else. We need to grab each other by the collar sometimes and look at each other and say, I want Christ to be formed in you. I want Jesus to be bigger than in you than anything else. And more evident in you than anything else. The Apostle Paul cares so deeply for the Galatians. He says, this is it. He said, I can go on and on. This letter will continue. But you need to know why. It's because I want to see Christ. I want to see the fullness of Christ. In you. So this morning as we close, as we look at this message, as we look at this passage in Galatians, the powerful truth of Christ being formed in us, we do need to look in the mirror. We do need to look in the mirror and consider God's word and ask ourselves, ask yourself this vital question, has Christ been formed in me? Has a relationship with Christ begun? Have I surrendered my life to him? Am I born again? Am I spiritually alive? Is Christ working in me? Have I been forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ, crucified on the cross, raised again on the third day? Do I believe in Jesus Christ? Because if I do and he is being formed in me, then that work is his. Am I a follower of Christ? That's my first question. And then secondly, if you are here this morning and you know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, how are you doing? How are you doing? 
Are you truly loving someone? Is there someone in your life that you are truly going out of your way to speak the gospel into? Paul had this relationship with the Galatians, and he cared enough to lean into this for the good of the church, for the good of the people there in Galatia. Do you have a relationship like that? Where you are pouring yourself into someone. They may be your children. They be a, a wider circle of influence. Who are you pouring yourself into so that the fullness of Christ may be demonstrated in their life? Maybe you don't have that type of relationship. Maybe it's time that you should. And it can begin this week. It could begin this afternoon, perhaps, with a meal, a conversation a chance to serve together, to work together, all for the sake of demonstrating what true love really looks like. As we close this morning, we're going to sing a song about Christ being formed in us because he is our only chance. If you've, if you've heard this message this morning, you said, yep, I need to go home, I need to try harder, I need to work harder, I need to do more, you missed the point. Because all we can really do is ask Christ to be demonstrated in us. The song we're going to sing in just a moment is called Living Hope. He is our living hope. He is our only chance of this thing actually happening, of, of the gospel actually coming to fruition. It's not about you. It's not about me and how good we do it or don't do it. It's about Christ dwelling in you and in me. So, dear Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We pray that it's been an encouragement. We pray, Lord, that it would be a challenge as well for those who do not know you, Lord, that it would be a calling unto themselves, Lord, of knowing, Lord, that you are drawing someone here, the Holy Spirit doing his work, that today would be the day that they would accept you as their Lord and Savior. For others in this room who need these moments, need this time to consider what it looks like, Lord, to care enough about someone, to love someone enough, to above all else, care that they would know you and come to a fullness in you. We love you, Lord. We praise you in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen.